lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. My name is Steve Dace, in case you have forgotten. Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre, they're here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is the number if you would like to join us today. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Over at Parlor at Steve Dace. And then you can also check out our new YouTube channel. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace is where you can go to get clips of the show for free that you can sample yourself and then share with others if you would like. YouTube.com slash Steve Dace. We have quite a jam-packed show lined up for you today. At the bottom of the hour, the one and only Carter Page is going to be with us on this program. Boy, howdy, if you could have hopped into DeLorean two years ago and said, Steve... You're going to have Carter Page on the show. I'd have said, he's not in prison yet? Because I never, at least it appeared anyway, from afar, that we'd just never seen anybody work harder for an indictment than old Carter Page. Turned out, he was getting railroaded the entire time. So we will talk to him about that, and, and maybe I can get an answer to a question. That has, that has bothered me ever since we read on the air live at the time the dueling memos, the Nunes and uh, Schiff memos. You guys remember those? Oh, yes. And we went through those live on the air in real time. There has been a question that has, well, <laughs> there's, there's several questions in hindsight that now bother me. But since that date, there has been one question that has bothered me quite a bit. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask Carter Page this question at the bottom of the hour and see if he might know the answer, because it kind of does involve him. So we're going to do that at the bottom of the hour. Next hour, we will play our weekly game of fake news or not. And then we're going to take a look at what blew up the pop culture world over the weekend in our Pop Culture Tuesday segment. DC Comics held their fandom event, kind of their own version of a comic-con since they didn't have those this year and they're just going to do it virtually dc said hey if we're just going to do this all totally on our own then and drew huge audiences all over the world watching this online the highlight event was the first trailer for yet another new reboot of batman in the cinematic genre and I I am I guess I would say confirmed in why there seems to be in our culture. And I I say this I am a Batman fan. Okay, I mean I, I grew up reading these comics. I I mean I've seen every film, I buy every Arkham game. I was very very excited about the announcements of the two new games over the weekend, right? But there is a there is something about the unsatiated desire to go back over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, revisit this most damaged of superheroes that I, I think it does say a lot about us as a culture, actually. And I think you really see it in this trailer. It is a glorious trailer. It's beautiful. 
it it's also grim and nihilistic even by batman standards it is grim tim burton called and said have you guys heard of colors like blue green you guys know there's other colors on the spectrum, right? So we're going to get into that conversation coming up at the end of the show. But before we get to all of that, here is Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by a lot. Yesterday, while we were still away from the show, Steve took to Facebook to post a number of graphics and studies on the cacophony of positive coronavirus news that's, surprise, surprise, still not being reported in the mainstream media. We'll distill those posts down here in the next five or so minutes on the montage. We'll start with a German study of something called T-cell immunity. That study found widespread built-in immunity to COVID because of past exposure to coronaviruses like the common cold. The study also says the herd immunity threshold or the percentage needing to be infected by an outbreak before their immunity begins weakening the strain is just 19%. This echoes data from around the world showing when the virus infects about 20% of a population, the virus quickly burns out. Next up is Fun with Worldometers, one of the most accessible websites for tracking COVID data from around the world. On Worldometers, you'll find the United States has conducted 36 million more tests than the next closest free country, India, which has more than four times the population of the U.S. Also, only around 16,700 of the current 2.53 million active cases of the virus are in serious or critical care. That amounts to about 0.6% of our coronavirus cases currently needing critical care nationwide, and only about 0.005% of the American population being in critical or serious condition with COVID. The often peddled mantra that the rest of the world is faring better than the United States is also poop, as the United States is performing more tests per million than Australia, UK, Spain, New Zealand, Canada, Italy, Germany, Hong Kong, Norway, Switzerland, Sweden, and France, among many others. More fun with worldometers. Daily new cases have been declining over the last five weeks in the country. Despite leading the world in mass testing, only about 1.7% of Americans have tested positive for coronavirus. The current case Fatality rate for coronavirus is 3%, the lowest in the world for an industrialized country. 5% of Americans have died with COVID. And keep in mind, we already know 40% of all COVID deaths occurred in nursing homes where 0.6% of Americans live, which means 0.03% of Americans not living in nursing homes have died with COVID. Despite the fake news narrative, New York and New Jersey remain the deadliest states for COVID, and it's not even close. Still, one out of four deaths with COVID in the entire Entire country are from just those two states with a combined population of 28 million people. Despite the fake news narrative, the Sunbelt wave of Arizona, Florida, Georgia, and Texas produced 16,000 fewer deaths with COVID than New York and New Jersey, despite those four states having triple the population. Despite the fake news narrative, it is Florida Governor Ron DeSantis who should be praised and not New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. DeSantis has a larger elderly population and his state's current CFR for COVID is just just 1.7%, both well below the national CFR of 3% and way superior to New York's ghastly CFR of 7.1%. In fact, all the Sunbelt states pilloried by the fake news narrative have a CFR below both the national number of 3% and way below New York's number of 7.1%. 
Florida has 1.7%, Texas has 1.9%, Georgia 2%, and Arizona 2.4%. 20 states still haven't reached 1,000 deaths with COVID. This graph is a compilation of hospitalizations from Arizona, California, Georgia, Florida, and Texas, the so-called hotspots of the Sunbelt wave. And as you can see, that wave is over as hospitalizations have plummeted during the month of August. The Centers for Disease Control is no longer requiring international travelers to quarantine for 14 days when returning to the United States from foreign travel. This chart from Cambridge University, one of the top 10 universities in the world, summarizes the risk of dying with COVID based on age group without consideration for pre-existing conditions. To summarize, the chart shows those 20 years old and younger are at a 1,000 times lower risk of dying than the most at-risk age group, those 80 years old and older. The Centers for Disease Control is also no longer recommending asymptomatic mass testing even after you think you've been exposed to someone with COVID. In this chart, the latest CDC age-stratified mortality data is compared to risk per year from other causes of death. If you're under one year old, you have the same chance of dying from COVID as you do of being hit by lightning. One to four years old, you have the same chance of dying from COVID as being killed by a dog. 5 to 14 years old, you have the same chance of dying as being killed by an earthquake. If you're 15 to 24 years old, you have the same chance of dying from COVID as you do from falling down the stairs. If you're 35 to 44 years old, you have the same chance of dying in a fire. 45 to 54 years old, you have the same chance of dying in a motor accident. 55 to 64 years old, you have the same chance of dying from being poisoned. 65 to 74 years old, you have the same chance of dying from COVID as any professional truck driver has when they're out on the road. Los Angeles County hospitalization data, a place that doesn't receive as much coverage about their outbreak as others because reasons, they have their lowest hospitalization rate since April 2nd. A top epidemiologist advising UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson is calling lockdowns a quote-unquote monumental mistake that must not happen again. According to the CDC, confirmed COVID-19-associated hospitalizations nationwide are at their lowest levels since March 21st. And finally, according to the CDC, only 6% of the deaths associated with COVID-19 have the virus as their only cause of death mentioned. That means just 6% of those in the United States have died from COVID-19 as opposed to just with it. You got it? And that's what happened while we were away. There's a ton of stuff there for us to unpack. We'll get to it here. Uh, great job with that montage, Aaron. But first, want to let you know about Deborah. She learned the hard way what home title fraud is when she went out to her mailbox one day and sitting in it was an eviction notice for her own home. How did this happen to her? Well, it's called home title fraud. And it happens because thieves have discovered that our titles to our homes now are kept online. So they forge your name on your deed, stating you sold your home to them and then refile themselves as the new owner. And in Deborah's case, she didn't even know about this until that ill-fated day she went to the mailbox. Home Title Lock is about the only way I know to prevent this from happening to you. Your homeowner's insurance, for example, won't protect you. But Home Title Lock will. And the instant they detect any tampering with your home title at all, they will mobilize to shut it down. But first things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim and don't know it yet at HomeTitleLock.com. And then while you're there, if you want to try 30 free days of protection, you can use my name, Steve, as the promo code at HomeTitleLock.com with the promo code Steve at HomeTitleLock.com. There's so many things we could highlight. We we could do three shows 
on everything in that rundown. And I just decided with us being off yesterday, I, I had the time with a day off. See what I did there? On my day off, I had the time to do all this work on my alleged day off. On my day off, I decided to honor a request so many of you have given over the last few months. Is there one place we can go to get all of this? And I mean, that's a Herculean task. You're essentially asking me to be my own CDC, guys. Okay, that's 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 a tough gig on top of the other nine job, man, like some Jamaican skit from In Loving Color back in the day on top of my other nine jobs. All right. But yesterday I had the day off, so I had the time and I wanted to hone in on one particular point that you're seeing all the signs are there that the virus is in retreat in the United States. Los Angeles County, you saw in that montage, fewest hospitalizations for COVID or with COVID, I should say, since April 3rd. No more do you have to quarantine after returning from foreign travel, according to CDC. Should, should these things not be like major news? They, they should be because there are the signs that a pandemic is ending. These are the signs we're getting to the end of it. But there's four in particular that I want to highlight. And I want us to spend a few extra minutes unpacking here. I want to start with this one. Let's go back to March 16th. Remember what was the original rationale for shutting the country down? Why we needed 15 days to flatten the curve? Do you remember what curve had to be flattened? Do you remember? We didn't want to overrun the hospitals. That's why we did this, right? Yes. To save the healthcare system. That we had the best healthcare system in the world technologically. But do we have the space? Now, I called BS on that from the beginning. And, and props today to the Wall Street Journal, which wants to highlight its, quote, new thinking about lockdowns. Because apparently, following actual data and not panic porn, is new thinking over at the Wall Street Journal. Well, welcome aboard. There's plenty of room. We've been helping to pilot this ship for the last six months. And I told you back then, remember, that Italy essentially saw its healthcare system overrun because it was short about 2,500 ICU beds. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have no idea why a nation of 60 million people saw its healthcare system collapse because it was short 2,000 ICU beds, but it's not my job to know. I don't live in Italy. I live here. And I don't think we're going to see the same sort of healthcare crisis here. Well, lo and behold, we didn't. And in fact, we ended up doing mass layoffs of the healthcare sector in the second and third quarter. In fact, the decline of healthcare business was the number one cause of the first wave of recession as a result of the lockdown. You cannot make this stuff up. Well, now let's look at this chart. And if you can zero in on the dates, you're going to see right now hospitalizations with COVID nationwide. 
This graphic is right off the CDC's website. See that little logo right there on the right? Some of these graphics we have to make with unstratified data. That's why when you ask for the link, we're the link. We have to take their data and turn it into a nice, friendly, easy-to-understand chart for you. But in this case, CDC was kind enough to do this one all on their own. And you know what you're going to see when you match up the two dots? Hospitalizations in this country are the lowest they've been for COVID since March 21st. When we were still in the 15 days to flatten the original curve. March 21st. And when we flatten the curve at the beginning of June, you're going to see the numbers are lower now than they were then. The, law, the numbers for hospitalizations in America are lower now than they were the first time we had the curve flattened right around Memorial Day, 1st of June, before we had these mass spreader events called riots. They're even lower now. Open everything up now. Reopen the country now. Play high school and college sports everywhere now. Right now. And does that trend line look like it's like leveled off to you guys? Because let me tell you, when the current ER visit number is 1.9%, 1.9% of ER visits in America are for COVID symptoms. Let me tell you what, what direction that hospitalization trend line chart's not going to go. Up. It's going to correspond directly with where we're at with ER visits. Because most hospitalizations begin where? Where, does, where do you ultimately go when you're so sick that you can't handle it yourself? Where do you go first? The emergency room. Most hospitalization admissions for everything begin in the emergency room. And we are seeing ER visits plummeting, which means this hospitalization number will continue to go down. Let's look at the next thing I want to make sure that we go further in depth on and highlight here. This is a question many of you have asked me for months. And I've hesitated to do it because they haven't stratified the data. And so we would have to take the estimations off their charts and do the math from there. And this is such a loaded talking point. This one is. This one, this one I just thought we had to be 100 and 75% right. Okay, this one could not be an estimate. I've hinted at this number in the past when it's been brought up in other contexts. I've said things like, if you saw what the numbers would be if we removed every comorbidity, including pregnancy, you would be blown away, right? We've, we've said that. Yes. But I haven't quantified it. I've, I've been hesitant, even though many of you have asked me for this, I have been hesitant to put a number on this one. Because this is, to me, the piece of resistance. And I thought, you know what? The truth is its own reward. Let's wait until we get the official number. I don't want to under or over overestimate this one at all. Well, now we have it. Through August the 15th, CDC says right there in the highlighted portion of this graphic, six percent of the deaths in america are actually from or because of covid 
The other 94% had an underlying comorbidity. 6%. Meaning, somebody was perfectly healthy, had no other comorbidity, something that could threaten their life in a reasonable amount of time. That's what that phrase means. They were perfectly healthy, they encountered COVID, and they died. That's only 6% of the deaths in America. And now you know, we've talked about this before, the median age of those COVID has killed or have died with COVID is the same as the life expectancy of the United States, 78 years old. This quantifies that just the other way around. It's kind of we've reverse engineered the math here. 6%. 6 have been for or of, not with. Which means it isn't we have no idea really what the death count of COVID is with the other 94%. Did they have their comorbidity under control? And then COVID essentially like some kind of a viral sleeper cell attacked them and weakened them. Otherwise they would have lived. See, these are the questions we need to get answers to, especially when it's 94% of the 180,000 deaths that we're cataloging right now. 94% with COVID. COVID. They had another comorbidity. I remember, Todd, the situation with your father months ago. And you wondered if this could be that kind of a situation where he had been sick, they didn't really know what it was, but he had had years of, of other health issues. Is this what it was? And of course, we would be testing him now. We right. weren't back then. But is this, is this what it was that exacerbated your father's already difficult uh, symptoms Absolutely and, right. And, and, and comorbidities and essentially ignited what was his cause of death. Well, now we know we need to have this conversation about 94% of the deaths that we're saying are because of COVID in this country. That's a monster number. 6% folks. 6%. Because here's the other issue with that. It means you're trusting government bureaucrats who have an incentive, a cash revenue incentive, in fact, to catalog everything with COVID. You're trusting them with that other 94%. How does that make you feel? I like them apples. So I give you a warm fuzzy here in late August. She fight for my kids to go back to school, to have a high school sports season. I own a sports bar in Columbus, Ohio, or Madison, Wisconsin. I'm going out of business. No football. Well, we've had 180,000 deaths. When the commissioner of the Big Ten issued his clarification last week, he just kind of reset all the macro numbers. Now, 94% of those deaths were with, not from, COVID. So how much was it COVID in the other 94%? And how much was it the underlying morbidity? I had a heart attack. It's my third. I'm dead. But I tested positive for COVID. 
These are questions we have to have answers to. The next item I think we have to highlight out of this montage to unpack a little bit further is this conversation from the, well, I was going to say the Anthony Fauci of the UK, except I think this guy actually has a dose of humility and maybe half a brain. Is a complete fraud. In this interview, let me share some of the excerpts of what he says here. Quote, lockdown was a panic measure, and I believe history will say trying to control COVID-19 through lockdown was a monumental mistake on a global scale. The cure was worse than the disease. I said that mid-March. Quote, I never want to see a national lockdown again. It was always a temporary measure that simply delayed the stage of the epidemic we see now. I'm going to come back to this point here in a moment. Okay. Next. It was never going to change anything fundamentally. However low, we drove down the number of cases, and now we know more about the virus and how to track it, and we should not be in this position again. Quote, we absolutely should never return to a position where children cannot play or go to school. Unquote. Quote, I believe the harm lockdown is doing to our education, healthcare access, and broader aspects of our economy and society will turn out to be at least as great as the harm done by COVID-19. Quote, I would not dignify waiting for a vaccine with the term strategy. That's a hope, not a strategy. But we do need to get on with providing an alternative to lockdown. Quote, as we lift restrictions, the most important thing is to make sure that people who need protection are protected, particularly those over 70 or with underlying health conditions. This is not a one-size-fits-all. Welcome to Sweden. Because that's what the UK is talking about in that last quote there. But I want to go back to this line, if I could. I never want to see national lockdown again, says the chief epidemiologist advising UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson. Here's why. Quote, because it was always a temporary measure that simply delayed the stage of the epidemic we see now implication from that is fascinating it is especially when we go to the final thing i want to unpack here now let's point this out let's do the math on this the cdc is now saying don't do a bunch of asymptomatic testing even if someone believes they've been exposed to someone with covid if they're not showing symptoms, there's no point in testing them. Hmm. Do you know when you would stop testing asymptomatically for a pandemic? When you suspected you were at the end of it. So cancel football, clearly. Yes. Now let's go back to what the infectious disease expert in the UK just said. All we did is delay the stage we're at now. Uh-huh. See, we took the best, healthiest immune systems that could have weakened these strains, and we hid them away. I wonder, by this time 15 years ago, the first SARS was almost totally gone. 
By the end of August, the World Health Organization had lifted all of the travel restrictions. Taiwan was the final country. I believe that was on August 31st. This week, 17 years ago, actually, 2003. Look at what's happened in the Sun Belt. Florida, even Miami-Dade County, their hospitalizations are cratering. Average age of a new case in Florida is 21. The virus goes up against respiratory viruses already don't like heat, goes up against the heat of the summer in the South, but then also the healthiest immune systems. And look what happens. It collapses. I wonder... Would this thing have been over right now like the first SARS was if we had never done the lockdowns? At the very least, we'd be at the stage we're at right now, what, 30, 60, 90 days ago. At the very least. And that's what the expert in the UK is saying. This was the dumbest, most moronic, dumbass decision made in the history of human government and management. And we've been telling you that on this show for the last six months. But we got plenty of room for the rest of the world. Come on in. The sane waters are fine. So you might be taking a look at the real estate market and thinking, you know what? I think we could see a rebound here in the third, but especially the fourth quarter in the market. So maybe I want to get in and get out ahead of that. Not the worst decision in the world if you're looking at those trend lines, but make sure that you go in with a real estate agent that you can trust. First of all, you want to have one of those in any uh, economic environment, but particularly in these unparalleled times. Take a drink. Yes, we have to throw that in each and every broadcast. So where would you find such an agent? Because, you know, if you go to their website, they don't just say on there, my marketing plan is we just do a, a an open house. No one comes to every Sunday into perpetuity. Or if I don't say you're home in about 30 days, I'm going to get bored and move on to something that I think, uh, you know, is a hotter item. They're not just going to say that. So you need somebody that is the vetting for you and the name kind of says it all. Real estate agents, I trust.com. That's what it does. It vets real estate agents who, by the way, are so confident in their track record that they want to be vetted. So no matter, no matter where you are all over the country, if you go to this website, you can find an agent that you can trust that will go all in with you if you're going in to the market at real estate agents, I trust.com. Again, that's real estate agents, I trust.com. Well, let's get to it. The name of the book is Abuse and Power. How an Innocent American Was Framed in an Attempted Coup Against the President. And it's the story of Carter Page, who joins us now here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Carter, my name is Steve Days. Thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing great, Steve. I hope you're doing well and great to be with you. So, Carter, we're doing well. Let's start with a very basic question. Who is Carter Page? Not the caricature or the cable news appearances, but but before we all ever figured out what a FISA warrant was or um, who Robert Mueller was, before any of that, who was Carter Page? Well, Steve, I 
essentially I'm just a average patriotic American, just who has done my best to serve my country throughout my life. So, I mean, it's a pretty simple story in many ways. And unfortunately, uh, as I've as I've discussed with uh, your Blaze colleague uh, Glenn Beck and and others over the over the years, it's uh, you know unfortunately the mainstream media completely twisted that story, and that's thus the reason why I was trying to um, set the record straight. Just because you know the the falsified version of who I am to your question. Uh, just ended up doing tremendous damage to the Trump campaign in 2016 and then in through the uh, presidential transition period and really throughout the uh, initial years of the Trump administration with with repercussions that continue to this day, you know, with these this terrible uh, mis, uh, misportrayal of, you know, who I am and my intentions and the work that I've done. Um, for my country and uh, in general, so I mean, it's uh, it, it's really quite preposterous if you if you take a step back and look at the the big picture. And I I hope I uh, I, I give people a good sense of that in the, in the book. Can you give us a couple of examples of how you have uh, you've mentioned this a couple of times already, Carter? Give us a couple of examples of how you've served your country. Well, I um, you know, growing up. I was a Eagle Scout, and I uh, I did a lot of community service, um, Catholic altar boy, uh, you know, uh, leader on my, uh, my on my sports teams, and so after after graduation uh, from from high school, I I went and joined the Navy, and I uh, ended up graduating near the top of my class at the U.S. Naval Academy. And uh, and that, that that actually ties in directly because right after I graduated, I ended up uh, becoming a arms control action officer, doing U.S. Russia arms control negotiations in the Pentagon um, in the early 1990s. Which, unfortunately, any anyone that has any connection with Russia nowadays gets uh, pretty. Uh, particularly if you're a Trump supporter, gets completely manhandled by the press. So I think that's a key reason why uh, that that aspect of my uh, my service, I think, was particularly uh, made me a uh, a big big target on the on the map. Reading a lot of stuff about you in anticipation for this interview, I read a lot of things about you actually working for the CIA in order to report on efforts of the Russians to try to influence American policy and elections as opposed to being an asset for them as you were portrayed in the media. Any truth to any of that stuff? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I always tried to avoid, you know, just out of professionalism, I tried to avoid that question in the past, but and it was what was really a uh, a driver for this book is in December of last year, December 2019, the U.S. Department of Justice uh, put out their Inspector General report talking about the the FISA abuse, mm-hmm. Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Court uh, abusive process, which was launched by the Democrat Party and the Obama Obama Biden administration uh, in the the final 
days and final months of the uh, of Obama's uh, Obama and Biden's term in office. And so, yeah, in that report, it uh, it was reported that I've served uh, other intelligence agencies, um, and you know, it had already leaked out that I had. Uh, I was a source and a, uh, you know, I had, I had helped the FBI for many years as well. But this was the first time with the Inspector General report and, and some leaks as well that came out prior to the report uh, in the, you know, towards the end of last year that, uh, yes, t- to your question, I, I, I have done that. So, you know, that, that gave me some leeway to really get into those, you know, details in terms of what I did overseas. And, you know, unfortunately, and I, I was just asked by uh, one of the, one of the network TV um, reporter there, you know, sort of what was your focus? You know, you know, I obviously having lived in Russia and done a lot with uh, uh, Russia over the, for over a quarter century, you know, was that sort of your main focus? And I, the reality is, you know, I, I've done a lot in China uh, I've done a lot in uh, in Africa and the Middle East as well, amongst other geographic regions. So you know, I'm not I'm not just quote unquote the Russia guy, if mm-hmm. you will. Did Comey and the FBI were they aware of this when they began monitoring you, Carter? Were they aware of your intelligence positioning? Well, there's there's some interesting clues, Steve. I mean, if you this whole um, you know the first indictment from the uh, Durham investigation, which is which has been ongoing, but uh, this month in Washington, D.C. was the first um, the first actual uh, charge, charging document, mm-hmm. which came out on August 14th. And, you know, if you read closely the information therein, it says, in August 2016, prior to my FISA warrants, uh, you know, another government agency, well understood to be the CIA, provided, quote unquote, certain members of the Crossfire Hurricane team with uh, memorandums, you know, talking about how I was a, an operational contact for the CIA mm-hmm. uh, for many years. And so, you know, the question then becomes, I mean, there's, there's a lot of open questions right now. Yeah. It's a major, major can of worms for a lot of people in and around Washington. But the question is, who exactly? You know, we know a lot of people were involved in the Crossfire Hurricane team uh, within the FBI. But the question is, who exactly and how high up did it go? So we shall see. One of the things when the Nunes and and um, and Schiff memos came out a couple of years ago, and, and we went through them line by line on this show, Carter, and broke them down. There has yeah. been uh, among many one lingering question that has bothered me though the most, and I'm wondering if you can provide some clarity. And it is it 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 it, it is that when the FBI suspected that the Trump campaign had been infiltrated by Russian assets, maybe including yourself as a suspected one at the time. It doesn't say whether they went to the Trump campaign and said, hey, hey, we think that, you know, you guys have got a, are springing a leak here. We want to give you a heads up. It, it, it never says in, in the Nunes memos whether they ever told the Trump campaign about this, because to me, uh, there's there's two answers as to if the answer is no, they didn't. 
There's two potential answers to those questions to the to that question, Carter, and they're both troubling. Okay, um, um, do you know whether they ever notified the Trump campaign that that they were suspe- the FBI suspected that there was attempts to infiltrate them from Russian assets? Do you know if that conversation was ever had with the Trump campaign? It's a great question, Steve. And if you had asked me that last week, I, uh, you know, I had various hunches. Um, luckily, just over this past weekend, uh, the U.S. Committee, uh, Senate Ju- uh, Judiciary Committee, uh, came out with a document uh, by the chairman, Lindsey Graham. And the, uh, the title of this uh, on their website, it says, Graham on newly declassified FBI material that demonstrate clear double standards for the Clinton and Trump campaigns. And so to your point, um, you know, at, at least Chairman Lindsey Graham, who's, who, who him and his committee have done a tremendous amount of research and deep digging related to this, you know, in parallel with what uh, then Chairman, uh, Chairman Nunes put together, they, um, they ended up having a, uh, a tremendous um, you know, they, they've uncovered the fact that there, there was, in fact, a double standards, whereas the Clinton campaign, you know, had these various accusations by the FBI, and they were given the heads up. Mm-hmm. But apparently, at least according to Chairman Graham, uh, no, no word was given. But it, it's an interesting new document. Again, a lot of open questions right now. We'll have to see how everything plays out. But you know, yeah, because so Carter, there's there's two yeah. possibilities there. One is they did notify the Trump campaign, and the Trump campaign just didn't care. Or B, they never bothered to go to a guy who was one step away from the presidency of the United States to give him the kinds of heads up you just described they gave to the Clinton uh, administration. And yet, then why wouldn't you do that? See, there's there's not really a comforting answer to that question either way, is there? Well, I, I, at least according to the the initial indications from Chairman Graham and other members of Congress, uh, my understanding is that they did not. So, I've got about two minutes here. I want to make sure our audience gets an answer that you have plenty of time uh, to, to answer on this question. Yes. Who is the Carter Page we don't know other than the media caricature? What do you want our audience to know most about you? I think the bottom line, Steve, is I'm a patriotic American, right? And I'm the exact opposite of what I was portrayed you know, through this multi-million dollar smear campaign orchestrated by the Democratic Party and pushed in, into their or distributed via their, their lawyers and their consultants into the highest levels of the U.S. Department of Justice and the FBI and other intelligence agencies. So, um, you know, and I, I, I've worked around the world. I supported my country uh, in a lot of challenging circumstances, both in the military and after getting out, out of the military. But, uh, you know, I'm, suffice to say, long story short, I'm in many in many instances the absolute opposite of what you uh what you'll read about in most of these uh these news reports which were really a defining moment for the Trump administration 
uh, early and also during the Trump campaign. It's, it's amazing with these false stories pushed by the, the Democratic Party in late 2016 and throughout the initial years of the Trump administration that he's, he's been able to achieve so much. So I think, you know, it really is a uh, it, um, huge misperceptions, and it's the reason I decided to write this book. And particularly now that we're 70 days out from the, the next presidential election after this terrible election interference in 2016, it was absolutely clear that we needed to uh, set the record straight um, with so much more to figure out. And I, I know you've been on top of this story for a long time. Uh, and, you know, by all indications and with these various hints in some of the, uh, the new materials which have recently been declassified, seems like there's a lot more to come. But uh, just as a starting point, I thought it was important to uh, write this book and uh, start setting the record straight. Abuse in Power, How an Innocent American Was Framed in an Attempted Coup Against the President, written by and the story of Carter Page. And uh, Carter, it's a pleasure to have you with us here today on Blaze TV Radio and Podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Steve. Great to be with you. You bet. Take care. Gentlemen, your thoughts on that uh, conversation? It's, I'm left, this is a tough hour, uh, a very depressing hour. Because the Carter Page story... Uh, echoes so much of you going through the data on the virus it, it he was just your he was made a mark because he was who he says he was just an average patriotic american who stood through things throughout his life not, but clearly not particular a uh, muckraker on any level or anything like uh, that and if you if you are going to stand something in this age you, you simply need to simultaneously have your your fangs out all the time he seems uh, like just a a nice guy and i don't know you can't be just a nice guy anymore get say i'm i'm for the flag i'm for the things this country stood for like because the minute you say that it is world war three the fight is on and i feel for the guy because man he just went in to do his job like so many americans are before him and that's a death sentence to many people these days what do you think, Aaron? If you want to know what the story of Carter Page looks like at the granular level, you know, we say oftentimes, if you don't think, you know, if they're willing to do this to thus and such person in this high office, what do you think they're willing to do of you? There's the story of Carter Page is summed up perfectly in a video that's going viral this morning of Black Lives Matters accosting a couple of people who are not raising their fist while they're trying to enjoy uh, a dinner at their restaurant. The forces at work in mm-hmm. this country who came for Carter Page are coming for you as you're trying to enjoy dinner outside on a patio. That's the same story, just at a different level. Fake News or Not is next. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. 
Steve Dace here alongside Totters and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. You can also follow us over on Parlor at Steve Dace, and then check out our new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steve Dace. That's where you get free samples of this show that you can watch yourself, and then if you like, or even if you really hate, those views count too, uh, we'll take the hate views. Uh, you can share those with others, either to celebrate or to mock. Either way, we will take the traffic and won't think twice. Beggars can't be choosers around here. Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, Pop Culture Tuesday, and the pop culture world is still ablaze by the debut trailer of yet another Batman film reboot. So we're going to look at that trailer. It is glorious. Okay. The the trailer is spectacular in my view. Have you seen this yet? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, It was spectacularly dark. And you may have, I'm, I have Easter egg questions for you because mm-hmm. I think I spotted some, but there's a lot of things that were, va- like, I don't see, like, comic book lore in there that you may have seen. I'm concerned, though, and I'm a Batman fan, one of my favorite superheroes growing up. All right, I, I bought the graphic novels, The Long Halloween, Death in the Family, The Dark Knight Returns, Okay, I mean, the Arkham series of games are my favorite series of video games that aren't a sports series ever. But I am concerned at how eager we are as a culture to go back to the Batman well. And I will explain and you guys can tell me if I'm nuts coming up here at the bottom of the hour. All right. Yeah. Don't forget, if you're a podcast listener, if you haven't done so yet, click that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review. The more of those we get, the more it helps us to grow the program. We want to thank the thousands of you that have done this for us already. Let's get to Fake News or Not, brought to you by one of my favorite products that we talk about on the show, because it's one that I keep pretty close to me, if you know what I'm talking about. It's Tommy John. Um, I just... I'll just say it, man. I know I've got a whole spiel and a script here, but like Tommy John underwear, it's one of the best improvements that's been done in my life in the last couple of years when I'm getting introduced to this product. Like right after DVRs, it's Tommy John underwear? It might be. It could very well be. Yeah. All right. So, um, you know, particularly this time of year, staying sweat free down there. It helps you with that. Um, it, it you get the uh, the cool cotton underwear that they sell. It really does keep you cool. It's extremely bendy and flexible at the same time, so that helps with the with the active workout schedule. Um, they've got. I mean, it's not like you wear your underwear outside, but if you like cool designs and everything, they have all of that. But I'm just telling you guys, that I have never worn a better fitting, more comfortable. Cooler, meaning temperature, um, underwear in my entire life. I mean, they say it's the best pair of underwear you're ever going to wear or it's free. That's their guarantee. Here's how much I like this product. I have gone back in now three separate occasions after getting samples for free and bought more out of my own pocket. I've spent out of my own pocket for this three other times since getting introduced to it. That's how much... 
I love Tommy John. And, and for the ladies out there, they've got uh, they've got whole lines for the ladies as well. So if you want to check them out, to get 20% off your first order when you go to TommyJohn.com slash Steve. Tommy John, just like it's uh, just like just like it sounds. TommyJohn.com slash Steve. That's 20% off your first order at TommyJohn.com slash Steve. And I'm telling you, you will be back for more. That's how good this product is. It's really good. Are you guys ready for some fake news or not? Yes. All right, let's begin with a spiel we have heard all of our lives, but that doesn't mean it may not be true this time. Watch. Right, and it's not going to be possible to tabulate, in my opinion. It's just my opinion. We have to be very, very careful. And you have to watch. Every one of you, you have to watch. Because bad things happened last time with the spying on our campaign, and that goes to Biden, and that goes to Obama. And we have to be very, very careful. We have to be very, very careful. And this time, they're trying to do it with the whole post office scam. They'll blame it on the post office. You can see them setting it up. Be very careful and watch it very carefully because we have to win. This is the most important election in the history of our country. So we have heard this all our lives. And you've, you've heard me say, hey, uh, no politician's going to say uh, not much will change except my life will change. Right. I mean, it's the important, ele- most important election of my lifetime, you know, because my gravy train's over if I lose. Okay. So just because it's a familiar refrain and a spiel we're all tired of, it doesn't mean it's not true as we sit here, Todd, the morning after Kenosha, Wisconsin was turned into Warsaw, September 1, 1939 last night, because a guy with quite the criminal record, doesn't mean he deserved to be shot by the police here, okay, but... Somehow he was shot seven times and is still alive. In fact, he's in stable condition. Dude, that's incredible in and of itself, okay? But he's got uh, a very, I guess we will say problematic record. The gentleman that was shot by the police on the main streets of Kenosha, Wisconsin the other day. That led to mass rioting, turning that fair city into Ferguson 2.0. And it's a scene we have seen all too often in America. So even though we're sick of hearing this, is this the one time maybe or the first time that you can think of in your lifetime that this is actually true or one of the times? Like I think, the, in my opinion, the most important election of my lifetime was in 1980. Okay. That's what I was going to say. Are, 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 so do you think it stacks it's, up with that or is this, again, no. just a cliche? No, uh, I don't. I, I, this is still a cliche he had me up until then, but talking about this within that context, and I'm the guy who's like, I'm, I don't know, I'm 75% to 80% that I will now be voting for Donald Trump, but it's because of my governor. And here in Iowa, the degree of normalcy we have relative to the rest of the country, that's what I'm trying to preserve. And he's just left her alone to do her job. That That's no small thing. But in terms of the man and the moment and knowing what Reagan and people like him, Thatcher, Pope John Paul II, meant to that moment? No. This election is what it means for one man versus another man in this particular case. And it's going to be trouble either way afterwards. Aaron, what do you think? 
Uh, it's fake news, and I'm not trying to be uh, Mr. Trendy, just be different for for difference's sake. But the, the longer our country goes without ver- uh, re- without re- revival, the, the less important each election actually becomes. The less impactful each election actually becomes. Because even though it feels like it, y- you've got people burning Kenosha, Wisconsin to the ground that picture of the Unitarian Universalist Church with the sign "Black Lives Matter." Meanwhile, yeah, it's up on in our the Facebook back, page right now. Yeah, yeah, in the background, the city burns. That's where we live. You think an election is going to save you from that? So, from the worldview, from the big picture macro per- perspective, the longer we go without revival, the less important each election actually is. Now, from an actual political um, human body shield perspective. Uh, uh, yeah, I can actually say the opposite. Just from a from a speed bump perspective, I can say the op- opposite. Yes, this is a very important election to throw a speed bump, but uh, you know, in front of what the left is trying to do to what's left of America, it's very important. But from a macro perspective, it, the, the the importance is dwindling. Given how little success Trump has had politically, even when his party was in power, in moving them on his agenda. He, I would argue he's been very successful on the things that he could do that required no real pushback on the courts or his own party. He's done good things where, when it didn't require pushing back on either his own party or the courts. He's done well, right? Yeah. A lot of things that we've wanted to see done in the past. Yes. Um, but given his lack of success in those other two venues, could it be said maybe that we may not be much better off if he wins. But given the forces at work on the other side, we could be much worse off if he loses. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Is that an accurate forecast, do you think, potentially? Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing I am concerned about. And it goes back to what I said about Kavanaugh two years ago. Incentivizing this behavior setting a precedent that letting people practice open coup attempts, open deceptions, open rioting is how to get their way. Just telling you, as a father of three children, I knew right away I had to set a precedent that stuff was just never working in my household. And I have got teenagers. We can go at it with one another. There's days I'm an idiot. There's days they're moody. And then they make me moody, right? But even with three teenagers simultaneously, they all know there are lines they cannot cross. Because from the very beginning when they were young, when they attempted to, the consequences were swift and harsh. And so they even know now in their teenage rebellion era... There's just places that they don't even contemplate going because they know the ro- they won't get rewarded for it. It will only draw my ire and blow back. There will, so there's no point in going there because you won't get the outcome you want. If you don't like me now, go there. Then you're going to find out why even more people outside of this home don't like me. All right? And that's my concern is if we say to the other side, this works, then 
I don't know why we'd ever have any reason discourse in America on anything ever again. On anything. Yeah. You know? And, and that that is a concern that I have. We are seeing, whether it was Kavanaugh a couple of years ago, whether it was the cacophony of what we thought was bad then back in 2016, we're seeing a biennial cultural hunger game play out yeah. before our eyes yeah. every election year. I told my wife back in April or May, I, I told, I, I hope every election year is not like this, where we can try, we, again, the pandemic, the response to it, where we just harness that for political reasons one way or the other. I, I really hope that every election year is not like this from here on out. If they're successful doing it, I don't know then oh, why it would not yeah. be. Exactly. You know, uh, let's go to the next clip. This is Trump on who will be your true master if Joe Biden wins. In decades and decades, and we had the best year we've ever had. But we took in billions from China. We never took in 10 cents from China, never took in 10 cents. They took a China for 25 years and not only Obama for 25 years, China was taken in anywhere between 200 billion with a B and 550 billion dollars from the United States. I give them all the credit, number one, for being smart and out foxing all of the people that stood here and their representatives. But China, we built China. We helped build. We, we gave them three, four, five hundred billion dollars a year. Because before that and before the World Trade Organization and they getting into it, China was flatlined. China was, it was after that happened. And then they took advantage of us because we didn't have people that were smart enough to see. And by the way, Biden would be the worst of all of them because his son took out one and a half billion dollars and he gets fees on one and a half billion, which is millions of dollars a year. Give me a break. China will own our country if this guy gets elected. That reminds me a lot of the first campaign appearance Trump made in Iowa. China. Yeah. China. And, and, and he was saying a lot of these kinds of things about Jeb Bush and his type at the, at the time. So, Aaron, what do you think? Fake news or not? Oh, I think it's I think it's uh, I, I think that's true news. I, I don't with all the connections, with all the connections that the Bidens, as Trump has has pointed out, uh, have with with uh, China I mean, Biden was, I think, the first candidate back uh, back in March, or actually it was in February, uh, I think it was, to claim that the move to shut down travel from China because of the pandemic was xenophobic. So I, I don't see why even Biden then, and I don't know if it was Biden or the people, you know, doing the uh, maestro, uh, you know, uh, necromancer on Biden, uh, we're actually saying that, but there's no question. Um, they, I think the people running the show over at Team Biden probably have a lot more in, com- uh, in common with the CCP than they do actually uh, the United States. Todd, what do you think? Yeah, I'm pretty much on the same page with Aaron. Uh, it is not fake news. I'm, I'm reminded of the, the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man gift, though, when yeah. he's talking mm-hmm. about uh, we gave them all this money. Well, you know, look at our debt clock and, you know, where that money's coming from as well. Uh, I don't want to get too far into what, you know, who owes who and what on the spreadsheet level. But, uh, you know, there, this is a very incestuous relationship uh, and both sides very much use each other like, you know, very uh, 
unstable teenagers who need to date somebody just to be, you know, validated on some, I mean, there's, it's just, these are not, these are huge nations of incredible importance to the stability of the nation. And this relationship they have with another is, is just juvenile. Trump next on Bernie Sanders. That's unfair because now they're taking all of that enthusiasm that our party has and we have tremendous enthusiasm. I think we have record enthusiasm. We have a base. We have a base the likes of which nobody's seen, including these people. Wall Street Journal did a fantastic story this uh, this weekend, a fantastic cover story this weekend on this base. It's an incredible base. Everybody here is going to vote. Everybody in our base. I mean, we have a tremendous base. They don't. They have no enthusiasm for their candidate because, frankly, Bernie Sanders, they have much more enthusiasm for him. But Bernie Sanders, excuse me, you know, again, he's the greatest loser I've ever seen. (laughs) This guy can lose and be so happy. Todd, fake news or not? I I have no idea. I'm more than and. I don't say that lightly is can we have a version of that a hold on this show I because isn't that the million dollar question for this election what this the the um what's the way we've been talking the 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 middle the great the great unwashed the mm-hmm. the um oh, we talked about the it does it's not the same thing as it the was swing the, voter thank you yeah. uh, I don't know if if we go there and there's all these kinds of people that are just so fed up with draining the swap and they think Donald Trump uh, only brought out the need of these four years to kill the straw swamp even stronger. So they're given another chance. If there's all those, and they probably never voted before, never cared. He, he may, he may be right. I, I can't, that's the one thing I want to know more than anything after this election, the silent majority. That's what we were talking about. Forgive me. I couldn't, if, if is there a new one, one that's different than ever before? It fascinates me. I don't know, Aaron. It seems to me that Bernie Sanders has won every argument other than his own campaign. Yeah. I mean, a lot of what we decided to do, both parties, with the lockdowns, were right out of the Bernie Sanders playbook, right? I mean... His followers are the ones keeping all their promises and burning everything down right now. Yeah, and I mean, he clearly, even by the head of the DNC's admission, we had this on Fake News or Not last week, said, hey, I mean, this is basically Bernie Sanders' platform, man. So, I don't know, seems to me Bernie Sanders won everything other than just his name on the marquee. Yep. And that's why I think from just a pure numbers perspective, uh, this is not fake news because I think I think the people uh, I think what what was that poll? I can't remember the origin of it, but I believe it was uh, I I think it was an ABC News poll, Washington Post poll showing that there is a huge discrepancy between Democrat voters who are actually voting for Biden as opposed to just opposing Trump. So mm-hmm. that speaks to enthusiasm. It was 58 to 39. 58 to 39. I thought it was in that. Yeah. And that's, that is a huge Never gap Never seen right a number like that in my career. But actually, from the policy perspective, um, Bernie Sanders, for losing all of his elections or his primaries, presidential primaries, uh, he's won. He won. I mean, it's um, it's honeymooning in Moscow again, or at least it's 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 the dawning of a new honeymoon in Moscow again. Uh, Bernie Sanders with your wife. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, from that perspective, it's it's fake news. I mean, the Democratic Party didn't want him for a standard bearer, but if you look at the premise of all the arguments and all their talking points, it's right out of his playbook. It's right out of the agenda we've seen from him in the last two presidential elections. So I mean, he he didn't win the primary, but but I mean, he won the hearts and minds here.
That's oh. his party. Oh, I don't disagree. I just if if there's but again because he's uh, he's lost. If the, if there's this group of people that will vote Trump back in convincingly, it's clear that it's just this vocal minority that turn you know gaslights everything, scares people, and you have to do more than wait to election day to do something. But election day still is what it is. We we don't know yet how powerful this supposed base is. Let's get to this next clip. This is from Chris Wallace on Fox News questioning a Joe Biden surrogate. Coronavirus, because Joe Biden was asked, this will obviously be perhaps the biggest single issue in the campaign. And Biden was asked on Friday how far he would go to fight the coronavirus. Here's his answer. I would be prepared to do whatever it takes to save lives because we cannot get the country moving until we control the virus. So if the scientists say shut it down, I would shut it down. I would listen to the scientists. Joe Biden is really prepared to shut down the country, to shut down the economy again. What Joe Biden said there was he will listen to public health experts. He will listen to Dr. Fauci. He will listen to leaders from the NIH and the CDC. That's something Donald Trump has demonstrably failed to do. Donald Trump's like a man who's lost on the highway and refuses to ask for directions. In fact, worse, he has peddled quackery. He has advocated for solutions uh, like hydroxychloroquine, which the FDA has said not only don't work, but are harmful. If public health officials say that's the only way forward, he's willing to do it. He's willing to lead. Donald Trump failed to confront this pandemic. Countries similar to ours, like Canada or Japan, at similar stages of development, have gotten a handle on this virus. The number of deaths, the impact on their economy, far less. What Joe Biden is showing is leadership and a willingness to trust science. Senator, I got one minute left and I want... Aaron, fake news or not? Literally everything in that was fake news. Like every part of that was fake news, except for maybe one one part of that peddling quackery. That was true news. I mean, allowing Fauci and Burks up there on the podium for that entire time. <laughs> Do you? I I I don't believe for one second well we're going to have a national mask mandate if Joe Biden is elected. I don't believe that for one second. I don't believe we're going to lock down again if Joe Biden is elected because the minute after he's elected, poof, virus is gone. We don't need masks anymore. We don't need to lockdown we solved it guys woohoo of course that would probably be you know mask mandate national mask mandate locking down again that would be the worst possible conclusion to uh, something this year so maybe i should know better but i'm still going with the uh life is good we're utopia now uh, a democrat is back in the white house so I, I think literally everything in that is is fake todd i largely agree with that including the part about how things would change after the election, but I don't think it's 100%, and this is a crazy voices in my head thing. The I, Why would they want to perpetually have us wear masks? Uh, and, uh, well, it, how about vaccin- mandatory vaccination? There's any number of reasons why they may want to, so you need to be prepared for them to just be utterly insane because that's the worldview that they are increasingly swallowing from a fire hose. One last clip for fake news or not. Here it is. 
This uh, peace deal, which is the third peace deal in 70 years for Israel and the first peace deal in the Middle East in the last 26 years, uh, is a big win for the whole world, not just for Israel. It's a win for the United Arab Emirates. It's a win for America. And quite frankly, in the region, it's a big win for all of the countries who want to see their societies advance, who want to see their people brought together in a society of tolerance uh, around economic opportunity. And it, it's about people wanting to push back on the uh, on the people who are looking to radicalize the region and use these old conflicts as a way to sow uh, disconnection. Uh, the last time I was on your show, we were talking about President Trump's vision for peace, where uh, we got Israel to make historic concessions that they hadn't uh, been willing to agree to in a long time. Uh, we laid out a 180-page uh, document, which was uh, a blueprint for peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. It really showed uh, you had Israel agreeing to a Palestinian state, and it was the first time in history that Israel agreed to a map, which was based on the facts on the ground. You know, we have have a practical background. We went in, we listened to all the different sides, and we were able to come up with what we thought a rational framework was for a final negotiated settlement. Once we put that out, that showed a lot of the different people in the Arab world that Israel was indeed serious about making peace with the Palestinians. And a lot of the relations that we'd been stimulating over the last years were able to come to the forefront. So this was a great breakthrough. You know, uh, negotiations are different. The Middle East is obviously a complicated place. We had a lot of people who doubted that our efforts would bear fruit. Uh, but this uh, peace deal is a great vindication for all of the unorthodox steps that President Trump has taken. So that, I think, is for the first time ever. Jared Kushner here on Fake News or Not. And um, he has gotten clubbed, I, and including by me, and I think deservedly so. But he has, even by the president's admission, taken the lead here on trying to fashion Mideast peace plans. And does, does he get some vindication here? Fake News or Not. Todd? If that's what this is about, does Jared Kushner get vindication? It can be about anything you want okay, it to be no, about. Well, yeah. I needed some because I could have gone any number of ways. Uh, so I'll just address yours. It, th on that front, it's fake news. Th th this Jared Kushner did not do this. He's on there just talking about it. Uh, and he's, that's, he's being way too optimistic. Is this potentially a success? Undeniably so. But no one has reminded more people... Uh, than you, Steve, that we're talking about the Middle East. Let's not go Pollyanna on this thing. It's it's a nice step in what may be a right direction in a land littered with failure. In fact, just over the weekend, the United Arab Emirates came forward and said, hey, you know, we'd actually like to buy some, some military planes from you all like the Saudis did back in the 80s. And Israel and Netanyahu said, ah, no, <laughs> no, would be our answer to that. And and so I, some meeting got canceled where they were going to meet with the Israelis or something over this. So it's baby steps. It's we're taking some tepid steps here. Aaron, what do you think? As I said last week, uh, when we talked about this on the overtime, I'm very dubious. I don't know why I. Uh, I'm sure it's not historical or anything, and maybe it's just my um, my overall uh, overall I don't know just apprehension when the word peace and Middle East are mentioned in the same general area as each other. Oh, you've so, read an encyclopedia before? Yeah, 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 yeah. I did. Um, so that's that's kind of my hang up here. So I, I'm where Todd is. I, I think this is overall fake news. 
I, it's undeniable as Todd said, undeniably it could be a good thing but could be is is uh, is saying a lot or that's taking a giant leap when it comes to the middle east also i get mad we're talking about that while kenosha in my home state is burning to the ground you know can we we got other things to solve right now too Hey, you know, one of the reasons that we have turned the supplement industry into a multi-billion dollar industry is a lot of the good stuff that we need the most out of our food, vitamins, nutrients, antioxidants, omega oils, et cetera, prebiotics, probiotics, you know, the digestive issues we have today. A lot of that stuff stripped out of our food, so it can be mass-produced for a long shelf life and also for mass consumption at the same time. Same things happen to our pet's food. That's where Rough Greens comes in. It is not a new dog food. It's a premium dog food supplement that puts all the good stuff back into the food that your dog already thinks tastes good, and apparently it makes your dog's food that he already likes taste even better. At least that's the case at our house. Our dog, Cap, absolutely loves this stuff. It's a powder, dense with all of the good stuff. You just put it on your dog's food that they already love, and before before you know it, all the good stuff they need the most for healthy skin and coat, joint health, mobility, etc. All of that is put right back into your dog's food that they already adore. And you can try it right now for 14 days. Get the jumpstart bag to see if you don't see an improvement in your dog in two weeks or less for just $14.95. When you go to roughgreens.com slash blaze, that's R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com slash blaze. Again, that's roughgreens.com slash blaze. When we come back, Pop Culture Tuesday, we'll look at an even darker turn for one of pop culture's most beloved characters. Next. I was just texting with one of my buddies who has been following all the research that we've been doing on coronavirus from the very beginning. And he just sent me a text and it said, so basically when 94% of the people dying with COVID had other comorbidities that threatened their lives, you, he said, you're essentially telling me that the reason why we have struggled with this from a mortality perspective far worse than a lot of industrialized country countries is because we have too many com- comorbidities, too many people with comorbidities, right? Yes. And, and he's, ex- he's exactly right about that. And, and there are little steps we can take to take back control of our health care. Remember, a lot of our health care system, by the way, is a sick care system. How to help you when you get sick. Well, how do we not get sick? I, I'd prefer to not get sick whenever possible. Um, and that's where we can do little tiny things. Like uh, that's what rough, that's what Brickhouse Nutrition is all about with Field of Greens. All right. Just one scoop that you put into any water-based drink, mix it up, has a full serving of real USDA-certified organic fruits and vegetables, which is more, frankly, than most Americans are consuming anyway right now. Why Why do we need those things? Well, not only do they boost energy, but they support a healthy immune system. A lot of the prebiotics, probiotics, uh, vitamins, uh, nutrients, fiber missing from a lot of our diets today can be found in Field of Greens by putting those fruits and vegetables back in there. And if you want to give it a shot right now, how about 15% off of your first order when you go with the promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. 15% off your first order with the promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. And if you like it and decide to subscribe, 10% off every month. They'll give you that too with the promo code Steve at BrickHouseSteve.com. Again, 
That's BrickHouseSteve.com. So let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday. And the pop culture world was set ablaze by DC Fandom's uh, weekend event, their own virtual version of a Comic-Con that had a ton of news and cool trailers about video games and movies that are coming up in the future. But one reveal ruled them all. It, It is still the number one trending thing in nerd world right now, even though this movie is only about 25% of it is done. They had to shut down uh, the filming of the movie over in the UK. They're they're making it in Liverpool. They had to shut it down with the coronavirus restrictions. They start refilming next month. So this trailer, which is spectacular, is only 25% of the script that has been filmed. The rest of it hasn't even been put on camera yet to decide which scenes to use. But this is our first look at Matt Reeves. Last film franchise he did was the reboot of the Planet of the Apes. This is his reboot, yet another reboot, of the cinematic Batman movie franchise. The first look. Take a look. Right, so it's releasing October 1st, 2021, next year. Filming resumes next month. Robert Pattinson from Twilight fame is the new Batman. It takes place, it's not Batman year one, it's a Batman year two. 
So he's already established in Gotham City and accepted by uh, Police Commissioner Gordon. You see Jeffrey Wright playing Commissioner Gordon uh, there. And uh, you see Colin Farrell in his bodysuit as the Penguin. That's the guy who uh, with the chubby face. Uh, you see him in there a couple different times. Uh, you see the uh, the new Catwoman in there, Zoe Kravitz. And then you see the proto version of the Riddler who is said to be played by somebody named Paul Dano who is said to be the main villain of the film. Okay. So two conversations I want to have about this on Pop Culture Tuesday. Number one, thoughts on the trailer overall because I think that's going to be the quicker conversation. I mean, I think the trailer is spectacular, given the limited look we have. I mean, that that scene there where he just beats that gang member to a pulp and the looks on the other guy's face watching this, and he says, I'm vengeance. I mean, that's almost poetic. But what did you think of the trailer, Todd? Well, I'm, I needed that second viewing because uh, I, I didn't even catch the Catwoman the first time mm-hmm. I was watching on my phone, uh, I I definitely knew the Riddler was in some. I still obviously had no idea about the Penguin because I didn't know that it was the act. What's his name that you just said? Colin Farrell. Colin Farrell, who's yeah. a known actor, but I I didn't. I can't even think of where he was in there. Uh, so it's um it's just as it feels just as dark as before, but it's Batman. So I've gotten I'm interested to hear about your concerns. Uh, it's a it's well executed. It's not. I mean, really, unbelievably, the the op, optimism has been played out in the Batman movies. I mean, Christopher Nolan as good as a director as there is, but there's plenty. I mean, he he's not going to kill people. There's that guy's a that Bruce Wayne is a pretty optimistic Bruce Wayne when everything is said and done. Have we really seen? The true go dark Batman. I don't think we we haven't even seen it in the um, the Ben Affleck version. So it's I guess it's time, isn't it? Aaron, what do you think? So that I had listened to this this weekend. I was not able to watch it. It's a long story, but I was able to listen to it in a, in a car as I was driving. Uh, this was actually the first time I'd watched it uh, right now with uh, with all of you, and. It was spectacular. The, the 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 trailer was spectacular. I absolutely agree. Here's the thing, though, with the my working theory with Batman, it's not that hard to really make a good Batman movie or character, as far as the actual as far as the actual character goes, because the archetype is right there. It's set in stone. There's not a whole lot you need to do to mess around with it. It's the themes, though, that are communicated around him with the rest of the story and how. And how his uh, and how his um, psyche plays into that, and how his character plays into that, that really can make or break. Obviously, a Batman movie. So, I'm excited for this. I I don't really know what themes are going to be portrayed. Obviously, the Nolan trilogy just absolutely phenomenal, just phenomenal. We we all know that. We all agree assent to that. But as far as this one goes, we're only going to know that obviously uh, until we watch it. So. Great trailer, excited, but uh, just kind of a wait-and-see game. I am concerned about our obsession with Batman. And I say this again, I'm a fanboy, okay? Um, I, you know, my son and I played through every Arkham game like seven times, okay? I mean, I'm a Batman fan. Grew up a Batman fan, but... This is now 
what, the third, fourth. This is the fourth reboot of this character. But that goes back to when you and I were in high school, the first one. Yeah, okay, so, but Superman's been rebooted one time since then. Um, Spider-Man has was rebooted a third time, but it's because of how disappointed people were in the second go-around with Andrew Garfield. Uh, I am concerned that we are struggling to rally around altruistic characters. And this obsession with over and over again making the broken, damaged individual who never really is ever made whole. You understand that the tragic story of Batman is this is never enough. He's never, it's never good enough. It, he's never whole as a person. He's, he's not... Uh, Batman isn't the mask Bruce Wayne is. Batman is, is, Bruce Wayne died in Crime Alley when he was 10 years old. He died that day, just for all intents and purposes. Batman is the, is the real person, if you understand the story. Bruce Wayne is the mask. And I'm, I am concerned this yearning we have to go over and over, and let's, now it's even darker. It's even more nihilistic. And, but we don't know that part yet. We don't know if it's going to be nihilistic. That's certainly the way that this was presented, anyway. But it's beautiful nihilism. But you said yeah. we haven't seen seventy five percent of the movie. I don't know how it's going to end. Yeah, and, and can I interject this as well? I don't mean to derail your train of thought. I mean, isn't that Batman though? That's kind not of, entirely. Not well. That's that he is dark though. Yeah. I mean, he is he is dark. Yeah, but, but this is gone. This is. But he takes a award for a son. He takes another young woman as a mentor. There's like a whole bat family. Notice they never get brought in here. They did at the end of the Schumacher Burton films. But it is a consistent damagedness of this character. And we want him more damaged. We want him more we want him more broken. We want him um uh um we want him darker every time. I'm concerned for us as a society that this has become the most bankable cinematic hero. The one who's the most broken, the most damaged, the least altruistic, the least inspirational. I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned we keep going back to this well and and cannot get enough. Audiences can't get enough of this. I am concerned about what that says about us. That we really don't want to, and, and and maybe part of this is, because you guys know I'm a big Superman guy, but there's others, and, and then maybe it's just a DC thing. I mean, Marvel's characters, there's a lot of inspiration in a lot of those characters, but I am just concerned that the most bankable DC character is the one that offers the least amount of aspirational content, and we can't get enough of it. Am I wrong? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I, th- I think so only because they've really mined a lot of optimism out of that character. I mean, there was, 
he was he overcame uh, the in many ways in the in the Christopher Nolan one. At the end, there was a it was hard fought, but there was. Uh, there was a uh, ribbon around that story there at the end and the end of the um, dark night when his speech is yeah he's broken but he says this is what i can be this is what i can do to be broken but to know that that's you are you can still that's your way of bringing hope into the world that that is your way of solving problems that no one else can solve now maybe this will not do that well and if you set schumacher aside which was pure comic book camp mm-hmm then i mean I, and, and we haven't seen in where this thing goes yet and you know that you your frustrations that, that i think you've rightly laid out with with the justice league you've never said anything about that aspect of things with batman I mean, you just think it has it's been a crappy story so far so i i don't think we've actually mined the dark this might be the first time we actually go there really with batman Are you concerned we're asking the darkness to constantly cast out the darkness and when we try to get the light to do it, like they just, Superman, without Superman, none of these characters in Marvel or DC ever exist. I, and yet they seeming, they, they, oh, by their own admission, they don't know how to do another Superman movie. Is it they don't know how to, because the last one they did, Man of Steel, is a great movie. Is it just that we're just not as attracted to the light as we used to be? And so we like the idea of the darkness casting out the darkness. This is really interesting to me. I, I, What's your favorite line? You bring it up regularly from the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, I am I am doing a very great work. I cannot come down. Or uh, I pulled out their yes. beards and beat these people. Yes. Remember what yes. I did for them? That's to them, Lord. Batman. Yeah, agreed. That's Batman. So that's what it's. Uh, there's a now again. I if there's a time it, for an ass whooping like yes, this. Yes, but that's there's a reason why that book sticks out. Yeah. The rest of the story arc of the of, so, of, that, of the Bible is one of a redemptive calling people to light, is it not? But we don't we don't know yet if where the subtext is of you said this is year two. Yeah, we're gonna know something a little bit. You know, there's gonna be a year one soliloquy in there or something about his motivations or something like that. What's the purpose with all this? I mean, I find it fascinating that you have not one, not two, but three of the villains in the same movie right out of the gate that's a lot to juggle so what's at stake we have no idea yet so if it I, yeah i'll say steve you are absolutely right if this thing is just full on nothingness to its very core but you found something notable in the joker right i thought what was notable is it was honest about its nihilism it it took a nihilistic secular viewpoint to its most logical conclusion. Well, that was helpful for us, the reader, right? If you were paying attention. Yeah, but I mean, because it points out the emptiness and shallowness of that actual worldview, whether that was intentional or not, but that's what it points to, right? Well, that's what Batman can do for you. All right. Back at it again tomorrow, John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.